0: Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel.
1: They called me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you. You are here. That makes this the stuff they don't want you to know when there's something strange in the space station. Who are you got to blame? space fungus Paul Ooh. can I get it like a weird siren and then like an astronaut like whatever an emergency Alarm. signal is on or the ISS or maybe
2: Ghostbusters theme sound alike that we won't get sued for by Huey Lewis and the news
0: Popo Zow not
2: Popo Zow how dare you
1: how dare you invoke Popo Zow We defer to you, Paul, because you're the best in the business at this. That's right, folks. After years of speculating on space travel and mushroom aliens a la Lovecraft, we're finally diving into the topic of fungus in space. And forgive us for saying it. It's literally Out of this world. Hashtag, no pun left behind. Here are the facts. Fungus is amazing. Mm -hmm.
2: Dare we say fantastic. Uh, If you want to find out some more outside of this episode, we highly recommend the documentary Fantastic Fungi, which uh, goes through a lot of the things that make these uh, creatures, organisms, weird, uh,
1: sentient beings, very special. Uh, And and confusing. Yeah, and confusing. Speaking of confusing, let's have some fun with this one. We were talking a little bit off air. Is it fungi? Is it fungi? Is it fungi or fungi? Uh, I suggest respectfully that we use all of them interchangeably just to stick it to the mycologist in the crowd. (laughs) That's right. And while there aren't uh,
2: necessarily this many pronunciations of uh, what these things are, there are 144,000 different species of them. And that includes, you know, sort of cousins like uh, yeasts, rusts. I'm sorry, Ben. Smuts. Smuts. Yeah. Like, 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 like dirty mags. What are we talking here? That's
1: anthropomorphizing. That's like the the human term. Yeah. Uh, Fungi, fungi. uh, There are a lot of fungal things. Uh, They include mildews, molds, rust, yeast. And of course, most famously the Kobe Bryant of the gang, mushrooms. Uh, And the weird thing is we know for sure that there are many, many more species in this kingdom that science has yet to discover. Mhm some might not even be from earth spoiler some are
0: definitely not from earth <laughs>
1: uh. <laughs> we we also know there are many fungus like organisms biologically they're kissing cousins things like slime molds or uh which we'll talk about they're quite intelligent or water molds a uh, fancy name for those is my say this <laughs> and I guess if I'm not mistaken. Ooh, my say too. That sounds like a,
2: a, thing you'd say when you're excited. Um, Ooh, my say too, dirty boy. Don't, yeah. don't. What well, isn't something that these these things have in common? Kind of the way they proliferate, like using spores mm-hmm. and the like.
1: Yeah, yeah. They they reproduce differently from the fauna of Earth in that they uh, they shoot out spores, and these spores evolved to function. At least the ones we know about they evolved to function in earth's gravity, which means it's kind of like you shoot an arrow into the air and you're not sure where it lands, but you know it will fly in something like an arc unless it picks up a wind pattern and true story, some creatures or entities in this kingdom of fungus they they have evolved to propagate towards certain wind patterns, which is cartoonishly specific of them but that's not even the beginning of how specific these these little guys get i mean they're mysterious and it's weird that they're still so mysterious right because fungi these fun guys are some of the most widely distributed life forms on earth to your point no that sporing reproduction works very well
0: yeah well and when those spores get shot out uh, sometimes if they land on like a surface like soil, like the ground, they proliferate best. Some if they land in water, they like to live there and they grow the best. Some... Grow on your walls, man, behind your walls. Ugh. And those are the ones you got to be scared about. I mean, you know, if you're any,
2: any homeowners out there just heard, you know, black mold uh, in this voice screaming in the back of their minds, that requires serious mitigation. It can mess up you know, your property value, first off, but it could also like, you know, literally kill your family slowly, you know, over time by in- ingesting
1: and uh, inhaling these uh, these molds. And yeah, like mesolothemioma, it's or asbestos exposure consequences. Right. It's something you might
0: not notice for years or decades. Very silent killer. Exactly. And the important thing to to note there is that moisture is often one of the major factors when yes. it comes to the way these things grow and how well they grow, whether it's in soil or just you know in a body of water <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> Uh, a good de- uh,
1: dehumidifier in a basement uh, 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 is worth its weight in I, gold. I'm just laughing because, to that point, Matt, I'm picturing whomever is this week the world's most evil billionaire talking to some species of fungus and saying, "You too require moisture. We're not so different, you and I." <laughs> you know, just yeah. still my favorite villain line: "We're not so different, you and
0: I." Oh yeah. <laughs> I do love that line. Uh, well, and it, it, it's just so true because, in the end, right, everybody's got that greater good they're fighting for, even mm. fungus. Yeah, fungus I, is I, the <laughs> protagonist of its own story. Dude, well, because some fungus is great and is actually beneficial for mm-hmm. other plant and animal life, mm-hmm. other fungus, though, is just out for its own thing. Shout out Last of Us. Shout out Sorry. Cordyceps. Yeah, uh-huh. Fruiting, <laughs> fruiting bodies, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Parasitic, right. We did an episode uh, and a video back at, uh, before we went to audio podcast. We talked a bit, uh, I think, about the um, the incredible subgenre of fungus. I'm not saying, I'm not using the correct taxonomy, but uh, there are not Like Last of Us, for anyone who doesn't know, does not come from a vacuum. There are parasitic life forms that alter the behavior of their prey and they make them do crazy, crazy things. Now, it's not just related to, or it's not just restricted to fungus, but you have to know these things are much more animate than they may appear if you and your hippie friends are out foraging in the woods. Well, yeah, even in the way they like communicate
2: with each other through practically neural networks. We'll get to that uh, 100 percent. But, you know, the question then becomes maybe we lead with what exactly is a mushroom? You know, we know I mean, I'm I'm surprised there hasn't been more of a mushroom lobby to like encourage the edible types like the incredible edible egg. But the fact of the matter is not all mushrooms are created equal. Some of them are delicious when sauteed with butter and some of them will kill you. uh, As we know from that story out of Australia that Matt brought to us about the uh, the woman that I believe made some sort of beef Wellington uh, out mm-hmm. of a, uh, what was it, death cap mushrooms?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which probably came over to Australia on the pine trees. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's a weird, weird story. And this is not, by the way, the first person to – allegedly commit homicide in this fashion. Tale as old as time. Uh, and and I, think, I, I think that's a great question to start with. What are mushrooms? Most of us, if we're not mycologists, even if we're very good at identifying mushrooms in the wild, you might often think that what you are seeing is the entire organism. It's not. You're sort of just seeing like it's dick and balls because the, the, yeah, the mushroom that you see in the air right above the surface or on the surface of something is the fruit of a much larger organism living underground they're the reproductive organs of a much larger creature you just, just said it get, so <laughs> let's just get it out of the way i mean you know the mushroom tip that you
2: see does quite
0: resemble oh i didn't a, even think about the human yeah.
2: uh, you know phallus i mean i it,
0: guess it, you're it right just, yeah it, it
1: just does you know so <laughs> i guess you're right uh the the real life form is a network of microscopic filaments things you can you might not you can't see the entirety of it with the human eye they're called hyphae h-y-p-h-a-e not to be confused with the hip-hop craze of the early 2000s remember hyphy?
2: like vans like got my vans on but they look like sneakers the wolfgang and like uh, early little
1: b that was the hyphae rap mu- rap movement so these colonies, these mycelia, they spread out in three dimensions through the undersurface, if we want to sound D&D about it, the underdark, if we want to sound Baldur's Gate. And they are essentially always at a buffet. They are not discriminatory. They will feed on basically everything, roots, wood, and yes, the bodies of the dead.
0: Yeah. And, and they form networks. So like as one, let's say one of these uh, series, right? One of these colonies, imagine it 40 feet from where you are right now. And then there's another one where you are. And then as those things spread out, they connect together.
2: This is something that's really beautifully, I guess, dramatized, for lack of a better term, in Fantastic Fungi. They have these sort of uh, CGI kind of recreations of what it would look like if you sort of animated the way signals kind of bounce around in these networks. Um, and and they're, they're sort of like, uh, I guess, animated using sort of bead, beads of light kind of dancing around between these points. And like you said, Ben, it is it is a three-dimensional network that goes a lot farther than you might think, and, and we'll get into what that actually you know means in a little bit, but uh, really, really cool images in that film. Ooh, also just last thing uh, if, if anybody is, is into just trippy imagery, there's nothing cooler than watching mushrooms grow in time lapse. It is so cool and it really points to kind of how alien and mutant some of these things really seem like and
1: there's a ton of that in the in the fantastic fungi documentary. I've never said no to a time lapse, and I'm not about to start saying that now. I'll also, one way to understand it, folks, if you have studied uh, termite colonies, termite hives, then the, maybe the best way to put it is through comparison. Termite hives are like Duplo constructions, mm-hmm. and, and these fungal networks are like the Lego or Technique. For the nerds in the crowd. Right. Welcome. You came Mike to technic, the right place. Technic. technic. Okay. <laughs> All right. We're fun guys. So yeah, so man. the uh, there's also uh there's also a common misconception that I think a lot of people have, which is we think of mushrooms as plants. Uh we think of fungus as a plant life form. It is not. They are actually more closely related to animals in that they breathe oxygen they exhale carbon dioxide and they cannot uh contain chlorophyll or they don't for the most part
2: they literally have gills oh, really yeah oh yeah underneath the mushroom the head the the tip <laughs> the head there's there's these
1: things that are officially called gills but not 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 for water, but no, not exactly. Like I'm just saying, like yeah.
2: almost th- there is a certain part of the nomenclature of mushrooms that feels more like describing human or animal biology, you know, physiology, than it, than it does t- like describing plant life. Again, Whoa. Lovecraftian,
1: yeah. So these weird mixtapes of superpowers, according to some more out there. Researchers like the late and controversial ethnobiologist Terence McKenna and philosopher, I would argue, uh, they'll even suggest that certain mushrooms are responsible for the evolution of human intelligence as we know it, getting human civilization across the gap of the bicameral mind, uh, even leading to the creation or discovery, if you like, of religion. And there's it's no secret that mushrooms and other fungi are often associated with witchcraft and anywhere you go in the world, uh, these entities have existed in step with the primates that later became humans. As a result, there are tons and tons of folklore involving mushrooms, often in a sinister or um, epiphantic or like revelatory sort of way.
0: Yes, and if you're super interested in that concept of Uh, mushrooms potentially having an effect on the evolution of humans, right. And our intelligence do check out our episode from 2019. Uh, It's called psilocybin fact fiction and future with Robert lamb. It's Mm.
3: a great conversation.
1: (laughs) Oh, beautiful. Yeah. And check out stuff to blow your mind with our pals, Rob and Joe. And so uh, Joe also, of course, famously, we, we say it several times a year, Joe, Joe led us down quite the rabbit hole with the bicameral mind episode. And So, like, okay, German folklore, witches dance inside fairy rings. Fairy rings are formed by mushrooms. French fables will warn anybody against stepping into these fairy rings, which are sometimes in France called sorcerer's rings. Mm. And they say if you do, you'll get cursed by a specific kind of toad, a toad that seems haunted, a toad that has bulging eyes. Ben, did you put this in here for me, my, my former young German boy, Heritage? I did. I did. That's why we put the German folklore in there.
0: Thank you. I appreciate that. What is this? What's this toad gonna do to you? Hop around near you and just look at you.
2: Bulge at you, man. Those eyes. Just give you the evil eye.
0: I ain't scared of no toad.
2: Oh, you don't know, da, dude. Da, da, None to come da, at you.
0: Da, 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 hey, now, da, careful.
2: Huey Lewis will be coming for you, buddy, before you know it. <laughs> uh, you know what else, though? It, it's something that you see a lot in kind of psychedelic fiction, like Alice in Wonderland. Alice eats the part of the different mushrooms, you know, to become big and small you know, and all of that. And the, uh, the, the the hookah-smoking caterpillar, you know, as described
1: by a Jefferson Airplane, is sitting on giant mushrooms. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, in most obviously, right, we're all making the connection, the idea of a toad with bulging eyes, had it been infected by a certain type of fungus that was oh, yeah. changing its behavior. There there may be some sand to that, but in the bulk of Western folklore, at least, uh, these things are seen as magical objects or they're seen as perhaps a symbolic gateway to a greater realization. Right. They're not seen as entities with agency. And that's fascinating because one of the hottest debates in recent decades concerns the idea of kid you not conspiracy realist fungal intelligence, which sounds super H.P. Lovecraft. It's about to get even more Lovecraft, by the way. But legitimate scientists are making this argument. We picked one that we've, we've got we've to mention just because his name is amazing, Professor of Biology at Miami University in Oxford, Ohio. I know. Uh his name is Nicholas P Money. Yeah. Pew, 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 pew. Um, And and really quickly, the the Lovecraft reference, just
2: I know most people are familiar, but I think one thing that invokes this for me is that a lot of the deities of Lovecraft stories are these kind of ancient earth spirits or from the depths of the sea or in some way from so deep, deep, deep down that they're basically in another realm. But I picture these things as having like mushrooms growing out of their bodies, you know, and sort of being like one with the roots of the tree and part of mm-hmm. this sort of like deeper, you know, esoteric knowledge of the uh, of the planet and the you know universe. Oh, huh? we'll get to that part.
0: Well, it's kind of weird because the stuff that Nick Money is talking about almost mm-hmm. lends itself to maybe DJ feeling Nick feeling Money. Like, boo, 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 boo. I'm sorry, go ahead, please. Yeah, <laughs> but it's much. feeling like maybe there's something to it. Yeah, oh, yeah,
1: yeah. It, and uh, Professor Money. First off, also a great name. These are for free, Nick. Uh, Professor Money argues for fungal intelligence in terms of operation, operational capacity, right, or capability, which is what we've talked about when we talk about how the human species still can't define intelligence. Fungus can operate as, like, different species of fungus can operate as an individual or as a group. It appears to make decisions based on uh, things that would increase its likelihood of consuming resources and reproducing. It can learn. It has short-term memory. That doesn't mean it's conscious or sentient, but it does make it does make a case that these things are having some sort of agency, creating uh, or pursuing better environmental situations. Spooky, spooky stuff.
0: Well, think about short-term memory. Like that means. Something some information is stored somewhere within the network, within the single organism or the group of organisms. You cannot have short term memory without information being stored and then re, like accessed again. That's so intense to me. Think of
2: memory in a computer that sort of acts as short-term memory, you know, and like hard drive space would be maybe the long-term memory. But the 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 RAM or whatever it is, you know, that you're using uh, in, in whatever computer system you have, uh, it, it is like the stuff that is needed for like the short
1: term for the time being is loaded into that and then moved on. And guys, I want to take a quick side note, folks. Uh, for the last few episodes, you may have heard a cat in a background. Uh, unfortunately I have a cat who is not doing very well. So I need to keep an eye on him. Uh, and Matt, Noel, I want to say, I appreciate you guys, uh, for tolerating that. So we're going to go ahead and get through this episode because I think what you bring up there, Noel, the idea of the, the computer analog is, is the idea of storage of a past situation is indeed fascinating. That is not, that is not what you think about. When you're eating a fantastic mushroom pizza, right? <laughs> That's not what you think about when you are, like me, sorry, making a, a kick-ass mushroom quesadilla. Yeah. We, we also know that things very much like fungus, the aforementioned slime molds, they can make incredible logistical decisions that rival those of human beings. Perhaps the most, uh, the most in, I would say, illustrative experiment involved slime mold that was able to generate the most uh, effective and accurate map of the Tokyo rail system. Yeah, you can find that uh, in an article from Wired by Laura Sanders
2: uh, from their science desk. Slime mold grows network just like Tokyo rail system. its It's got images of, of how long it takes it to form. And, and once again, like if you watch like time lapses of this kind of stuff, um, it is remarkable because you also might notice that if you have like your uh, you know front yard or whatever and you see a little mushroom and then you have a big rain, you might come out like two hours later and that thing's doubled in size. So these things grow at alarming rates uh, with a serious uh, complexity to them. Um, and we're not even seeing what's happening behind the scenes, right? Underground.
1: And again, uh, credit to Laura Sanders from January of 2022 for that fantastic summation over on Wired on the slime mold network. It seems that overall, in exchange for not having the superpower of photosynthesis, Fungi have gained other superpowers, the ability to control other creatures, to live with or through them, etc., etc. Why are we telling you all this? First, because we think it's super interesting. Second, because we want to explore a notion this evening that haunts us just as much as it haunted H.P. Lovecraft in his day. What if the first extraterrestrials humans meet Aren't animals at all? What if they're some sort of mushroom? We're going to pause for a word from our sponsor. Let's all go check on our Portabellas and we'll be right back.
3: (laughs) I'm Katya Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.
4: Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers,
0: here's where it gets crazy Ben i just had a flash of fungus technology like an intelligent fungal species Biotech, that we yeah. encounter that creates its own technology I, mean, I know that's been portrayed in places but I don't like what just happened inside uh, my brain visual stuff. Mm -hmm. And your brain is really your first spaceship. So so
1: hold on. I mean, maybe not a mushroom like you'd (laughs) order a pizza, but how about a fungus?
2: Well, you know, you mentioned mushroom technology, um, Matt, and uh, in, in the realm of like cinema and fiction, I think a, a creator that does a great job of uh, depicting this kind of stuff is um, David Cronenberg. In, in in movies like Naked Lunch or, you know, Videodrome, there's a lot of kind of like body horror modification kind of stuff that involves these sort of outgrowths, you know, that, that have very mushroom-like
1: qualities. Pretty, pretty, pretty neat stuff. Yeah. So – Let's stick with fiction here because I, I, I we owe it to the Lovecraft fans of of which I count myself in their number. Uh, in the mythos of H. P. Lovecraft, as many of us listening tonight doubtlessly know, there is precedent for this: the alien race, the Migo, M I Dash Go are a um, they're an interstellar capable species of things that kind of look like crustaceans but are actually fungoid in nature. They're from a planet called Yuggoth or Yugoth. And uh, they get into all sorts of what we can just call lovable hijinks. The way that Requiem for a Dream is a great date night film. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> These are infernal beings, aren't they, Ben? They're, um, they're ancient aliens <laughs> is like a good way to describe them. And as bizarre as that might sound, it might sound like Lovecraft was um, off, off his gourd, right, out of his badger bag on drugs or something, but turns out science is proving that these fun guys are actually a pretty fantastic candidate for the first aliens that humans meet. they're up there with the water bear, the tardigrade, the legend in the game when it comes Thank to outer guy. space for survival they're They may be better than the tardigrade, honestly, and like human astronauts, some form of them is already in space. It's already happening. Like that ship has sailed, that rocket has launched. Uh, mushrooms are, or fungus are, there. Are other astronauts that are non-human that beat you to space. If you're listening tonight, astro guy, far, far more
2: adaptable than, than, than you are, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, don't we already have like space mold? That's uh, that's become a bit of a of an issue for astronauts and the
1: International Space Station. It's a huge problem. Imagine, I mean, owning a house, right? A little spaceship on the space of Earth's surface is already pretty stressful. Now you you can't drive to Home Depot. You know, you can't door dash some Taco Bell or whatever. You're officially responsible for your own diarrhea in space. You can't you can't you can't. Do a lot of stuff, and there are so many things that could go wrong ever since people went to space for longer than just like a lost cosmonaut Gagarin kind of jaunt there and back. Ever since that moment that people spent time in space, mold and fungus has been a huge problem. Uh, Science Magazine has talked about it with the uh, journalist Richard A. Lovett, and even now. In the International Space Station, one of the things they have to constantly battle is mold. Specific types of mold that are as determined and tenacious as your favorite uh, horror movie villain. They're like Jason. They're like Friday the 13th. They don't stop. They always come back.
0: And we'll find out why these things proliferate so much better in space uh, than they do even on Earth in a moment.
1: Yeah, and we have to also say that these issues go back much further than uh, <laughs> they go back much further than the ISS. All as far back as 1988, Russians aboard the Mir space station, they were Russian because it's it was a Russian space station. They looked out one of their observation ports one time, one orbit, and they said, "Hey, something's on the window." and they probably checked with ground control and they were like is there sup- su- supposed to be something on the window and ground control's like bro yet yeah
2: i mean this uh you know alien literally i mean you say trudging towards and i'm just picturing you know the first uh, alien film you know where this this unstoppable force is is you know you're you're Locked up with this thing in space and no one can hear you scream. Uh, But it turns out, you know, the stowaway in this situation that was slowly destroying these, uh, for all intents and purposes, pretty impervious windows made of something called titanium quartz uh, was revealed to have been a type of fungi that had stowed away by clinging to the astronauts themselves.
0: Think about how horrifying that is. You're stuck in a spaceship. If anything breaches into the outside of that spaceship you're gone everybody's gone nothing you can do about it bye bye uh, and this fungus is just sitting there hanging out on your windows eating them
1: mm-hmm. it's coming in and uh, from the
0: inside
1: uh, Yeah, and this happened multiple times on the mere space station alone uh, there is a An infamous story from 1997 on Mir, because they they were never able to fix this problem, nor really get their heads around it. Uh, And it's something we're talking about off air. Uh, Let's go cinematic with it. Let's go to the astronaut David Wolf. No, no, we don't know if he's a relation to Dick Wolf. But one day, this astronaut is aboard Mir, and he opens a service panel. A little maintenance panel, and inside he finds not just the mechanisms he was looking for, but large condensate globs, bowling ball
0: size, beach ball size, big, big boys. That's right. Think about that. That globs of water that on mirror in their uh, what what do they they don't call it a non gravity uh, situation. It's a it, Very low, very, very low gravity situation. Balls of water that's got stuff in and inside the ball and on the surface of that ball. Gooey, slimy, ice-cold orbs of stagnant water
2: um, that were uh, just absolutely swarming, teeming with dozens of species of bacteria and fungi, and of course, they weren't just Stagnant themselves, despite being made of stagnant water, they were already beginning to colonize and expand and move out in this low gravity environment into the wiring, the Mm -hmm. electrical Mm -hmm. systems of the plate. Talk about moisture on Earth is Mm -hmm. terrifying, Mm -hmm. you know, but you can usually mitigate it with, like, I'm sorry, I'm an evangelist for dehumidifiers, but in space where this stuff is just going everywhere.
0: Getting into stuff?
1: Yeah, so it's occluded, right? Which means you can see kind of through the water, but you can see the things moving within, which is even creepier. And let's italicize colonizing because that goes back to the idea of agency, right? Are they deciding to do a thing, you know? Uh. (laughs) Or are they they just fun guys, fun guying? It's it doesn't it doesn't matter philosophically for wolf though because he's got to like figure out how to stay alive till he can get back to earth
0: oh yeah i i keep imagining the moment of beholding it for the first time pulling away that panel and seeing what looks like probably a creature of some sort right i mean it probably looks like a living breathing creature that is You know, moving and the way it's floating there. I Ah. hope it has. I hope
1: it has a funny voice. It'd be awesome if it was like. Love it. Oh, (laughs) jeez. This is terrifying. So it, it, it adapted. It didn't just adapt to the inner environment of space, a space station, but it adapted to the outer environment it survived it thrived on windows control panels air conditioners cable insulators you know if you have ever you know had to mitigate black mold in a house or a domicile here on earth you know that it just uh, it doesn't just go away it
0: doesn't move on you have to intervene but again anything that could potentially form condensation Within the environment of the space station, right? That's what we're talking about. Because it's that water, it's that oh, beautiful, precious, holy water, that allows these things to <laughs> to generate.
1: Mm-hmm. We both love moisture. We're not so different, you and I. Oh, well, there it is. And it just
2: points out too that like in this situation, like is the mold is is the fungi the villain or just the hero in its own story? And like we're kind of irrelevant
1: in the exchange you know what i mean as far as it's concerned uh, non-fungal life forms are vectors they are another yes. part of an environment to the thing mm-hmm. and every every living thing is the protagonist of its own story at this point we can't blame anybody for saying dang this is the perfect setup from an ex-sci-fi horror novel thanks guys but in the real world, where the real orbit around it, scientists are not scared. They're very excited about the implications of life. That seems, weirdly enough, pretty great at this whole space thing. And that, let's get to that thing you foreshadowed so beautifully. They're thriving because they're able, unlike humans, they're able to reproduce in space,
0: right? Yeah, uh, it turns out the... Uh, Low gravity situation really works out when the way you reproduce is to shoot spores out from your person or your fungi, Um, because in in the low gravity, it's you get a 360 shot, basically, especially if you're floating right when you're uh, beginning to reproduce. Um, It's kind of nice, kind of works great because you can shoot those spores clear across. Right. To the to the other side, maybe even fill an entire space or room with with your spores. Yeah, it's nuts, too,
1: because they since they don't have gravity, it's like when you see fire in low Earth gravity or a lack of gravity or when you see. do um You guys watch those videos of astronauts talking to kids or talking to news organizations and they have different foods that are floating around. Like that's what those spores are doing. And they, to your point, Matt, they have nothing to stop them from expanding. Also, I think people still don't understand how space-borne fungal species are able to be dormant until the perfect time. Somehow they know when to activate and begin sporing. And I'm, I, I would imagine, again, we're not mycologists, but I would imagine that somehow based on perception of water. Or access to moisture or sensing food? I don't know. So, you know, t-
2: t- t- I think we've, we've sort of made this point a couple of times. This stuff is just incredibly adaptable. And as you mentioned, they are able to reproduce out there. They have seem to have an evolutionary
1: leg up on human beings from the jump. Wouldn't you guys say? I mean, yeah, I, at least in, in this environment. Yeah, it seems some of the stuff they evolved on Earth has benefited them. And they have powers that humans don't. And scientists also have concluded that they need to study fungal growth and behavior in microgravity, especially to your point about adaptation, Noel, that ability to repair DNA damage from radiation. Like, what if you could somehow adapt that to humans? I don't know how you would begin to do that, but what if you could make the homo fungoid? Homo fungiensis. With
0: CRISPR, one can do
1: anything.
2: That's David Cronenberg. He's got the <laughs> imagination for it. Let's put him in charge. No, it's, it's true. And it really does make you, when you zoom back out and think about, like, our place in the universe and, you know, our attempts to push outward into, deeper into the universe and how much better suited fungi are for that journey. It really makes you kind of question, like, did they come from
1: there in the first place Mm -hmm. deep water my friend deep water and it's startling knowing all this knowing that the world's top scientists were aware that fungus was awesome in space nobody launched any of this into space on purpose until 2016
0: which is kind of recent right well yeah as we know time is accelerating everybody we know this (laughs) 2016 feels like it was eh, a couple weeks ago. (laughs) Nope. Uh, (laughs) No. But why do they do that? Like, why would they wait until 2016 to really try and study this stuff? For my money, I would say it's probably because you don't want too much proliferation of fungus, right, on on a spacecraft. So you got to make sure you can control it at, at least to some extent. And they were probably figuring out the technology like to control it. Mm, yeah,
1: that makes sense because your first priority is going to be to save the shuttle or the station mm. and the, save, save the, the mission. Save the mission. There we go. It's bigger than all of us. And, uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, that's a great point, man, because naturally it means that uh, research is going to focus on the best cleaning method, the best sanitation method, et cetera, et cetera. And by the way, uh, long story short, That stuff worked, but they were never able to get to 100% success with it. And then they began to look at the problem in a different way, from a different angle. And they said, we can perhaps learn from these tiny boys. Uh, And at first, scientists weren't super worried about how these things might cause potential health problems without mitigation. Uh, They said, look, this will only really cause health problems if people live under stressful conditions, if they have compromised immune systems. And then somebody, one of the boffins in a room somewhere years ago said, hey, though,
0: space is stressful for humans also. Well, yeah, especially it's stressful on our immune systems. Right. And, and we didn't know that at first. That's something we learned after launching, you know, enough human beings into space to realize, oh, something in the environment up there is causing the immune systems to be at least mildly compromised. And a lot of that has to do with the stress the body, any human body, undergoes when existing in space. Think about the flight itself to get out of there riding on that rocket. Right. And then you
2: got to go through mega training to even prepare yourself to to deal with those kinds of conditions.
0: Yeah. And the psychological stress of floating in space. Like, what is that? We there all those sci fi movies are about that. Almost almost every single one ends up addressing the psychological effect of being in space. That is a real thing that is occurring inside inside the minds and bodies of every astronaut and cosmonaut and whoever else goes up. That's right, and this uh, was a bit of a red flag to some
2: scientists, including a pharmaceutical scientist by the name of Sarah de Sager, um, who co-authored a paper for uh, a team of scientists uh, in Belgium's Ghent University. Um, In an exhaustive review of literature, they didn't find a whole heck of a lot, but what they did find was mostly related to the detection of these different fungal species. And speaking to live science, she said uh, concerning the findings of their paper, um, specific fungi that have been found on space-faring vessels such as Aspergillus flavus and members of the genus Alternaria, which couldn't sound more spacey if you ask me, are known to produce carcinogenic and immunodepressing compounds. Like, to your point, Matt, uh, these molecules often form when fungi get themselves stressed. Exactly.
0: Isn't that crazy? That's really, really neat. Like... a a contained stressful situation uh, shared by different species somehow like contributing to one another. And then that fungi can potentially, the the big problem here is that the fungi can infect the humans because they are more uh, like compromised, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Difficult environment, cough, cough, outer space, cough, cough.
1: I mean, and they also can survive in the vacuum of space, for long periods of time right now the fungus shows no signs of stopping exploration uh, and that's part of that is cuz because of their other superpower they're highly resistant to or some species of fungus are highly resistant to radiation let's go to Marta Cordesau, uh, who's is- I'm sorry, awesome, Cordisau?
2: Cordyceps.
1: Yeah. That's kind of yeah. great. Yeah. Uh, awesome microbiologist and love the way uh, she writes and speaks with people. Uh, she is a microbiologist at the German Aerospace Center in Cologne. And she led a team that took a common black mold that ha- that is a regular at ISS, Aspergillus Niger. And they just, smacked it with x-rays and heavy ions. The way she describes it is we fired quote stupid amounts of radiation at these little guys. And I love that you're a scientist and you're saying stupid amounts of radiation oh, yeah. because that's a good way to communicate with folks. We know what that means. Mhm. And what they found was astonishing. Also uh we'll have a bit of a tech explanation but her team found that these specific spores could survive radiation doses of five to 1,000 gray. And gray is, by the way, the the for all of us old fogies in the crowd, gray is the new rad. It's a, a measurement of ex, uh, radiation exposure. And humans, in comparison, if you were exposed to 0.5 gray, you start to get radiation sickness. If you get up to five gray, you're dead. Uh, ben, in my mind, when you said gray is the
2: new rad, I was picturing it as replacing like the word rad as a as a slang. So I'm just going to start saying, bro, that was totally gray.
0: <laughs>
2: I think that might pick up. What do you think, guys? Should we make yeah. it happen? Should we I'm, make gray happen?
0: I think we should. I'm going to start saying cortez <laughs>
2: I love it. What did Cordesau, though, have to say about uh, this uh, radiation testing?
0: Well, uh, let's let's get into that, but just to quickly say this and connect it back to another episode or a, another topic, that UV radiation we're talking about isn't the exact same but thing, but it's very similar to the radiation from those lights we've talked about over and over and over again, the ones that kill uh, the bacteria and E. coli and all, all the stuff in the water that are used in water treatment plants same kind of radiation, not quite the same thing, but uh, in this, you know, in this instance, it's the stuff that you would use for a disinfectant in a medical situation, like a hospital.
1: And so cortisol finds that these spores survive huge amounts of high energy UV radiation to your point, Matt, about like the, the energy emitted by some of those high powered lights and the, the, Weird thing about this is this research led them to disprove some of the established protocols for cleaning spaceships. The radiation that is used to sterilize the surfaces of spacecraft—it's the same stuff this fungus is immune to. So, whoops! It's like if you are trying to—it's uh, <laughs> like if you are trying to get rid of fruit flies, and you say the best way to do this is to smear rotten fruit on the walls. Ew. Gross. So, what's the takeaway here,
2: y'all? I think we've, we've we, we we can already say one of them is that fungi, 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 mushrooms are freaking amazing. They're so versatile. They're so adaptable, um, and I think another is, like we said maybe a minute ago, Ben. We were kind of going back and forth. Is that it's possible, uh, or actually probable? Then, from the from the uh, evidence, I would say the case that mushrooms, fungi rather, are actually better equipped to survive and explore space than almost any other form of life on planet Earth.
0: And that's true. I mean, they still, like we said, they need oxygen, right? And some, a few other gases for them to breathe or uh, live like that. And they need moisture. And if you could make an environment with that stuff and then just launch it out, guys, maybe we can be the panspermia we've always been looking for.
1: Mm -hmm. It was the friends we made along the way, right? (laughs) There's that, that's crazy because it also tells us about the origin of life. I love that you bring up panspermia, Matt. Let's go to an astrobiologist at New Mexico State University, Paul Mason. He says, look, the thing we don't always talk about is that no one knows how life went from prebiotic ingredients all the way to pretty complex microorganisms so early in history. In fact, some scientists believe this evolution required more time than it passed since the planet first became habitable so he plant, he points to panspermia he says maybe life originated elsewhere in our solar system maybe somewhere even further away farther away excuse me and he says now we know life from earth can survive in space so maybe it could have arrived on earth from somewhere else this is not stoned college kids talking in a dorm room these are experts in their fields and they're they're talking about exactly what i think more people should be exploring fungus as astronaut was it the first astronaut ever in uh, you know like earth terms can we make deep space explorations with fungus as our crew
0: i don't know well i mean imagine what that would look like i i think it would look i'm i'm no scientist i'm no expert i'm not even a stoned college student um the i feel like if there was some kind of carrier for a fungus, right, that was traversing within a galaxy somehow or in a solar system, you know, that got launched from some explosion of other uh, heavenly bodies. And on that, whatever that projectile was, that meteor, that asteroid, if it had enough ice on it that was being burned off, essentially, as it's being warmed up, you could have an environment that had potentially... The necessities for this, you know, fungal growth. Right. And it could just hitch a ride. And if it somehow miraculously survived the burn. Right. Of entering. Well, maybe there's no atmosphere. Right. To burn it up upon entering or at least close enough to a planet to land. I could oh, totally man. see that. You know, we're speaking of Lovecraft a lot here, too.
2: It just reminded me of uh, more so, I think, the film adaptation but the color out of space um, with Nicolas Cage. I think it involves a meteorite that crashes into the earth and then cracks open. And inside of it is this... Black slime mold stuff that kind of creeps around and infests things and turns them into monstrosities or sort of these hybridized kind
1: of, you know, abominations. Mm hmm. And with that, now that we're getting to the deep water or the deep ink, I propose we pause for a word from our sponsors, of course, the famous Migo of Ugeth, Uh not to be confused with the Migos of Atlanta, or maybe the same. <laughs> and uh, we'll, be, we'll be right back to dive further into this. From BBC Radio 4,
4: Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is
1: going on a road trip. I
2: thought in that moment Oh, my God, we've
4: summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA.
0: He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. (laughs) Listen
4: to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Snag a job is where America goes to hire
1: we have returned so can we purposely grow for lack of a better phrase non-human astronauts the short answer believe it or not is yes it'd be expensive uh to build a craft and launch it out in the correct trajectory but you could theoretically pick your favorite Fungal life forms, pack them up into something and shoot them to Mars or shoot them to the moon. It'd be even easier. And then just, you know, let a few million years pass, roll the dice, right? To the moon, fungi. Hey. <laughs> there we go. It's, zoom. The, it's the new stonk. It's the new game. Stop fungal astronauts. I mean, it's not on the list of priorities though, right? Because right now science, human science is concerned with what, can be learned from these superpowers i i I was surprised to find that one of the big areas of study is what fungi can teach us about medications could you somehow adapt this survivability to ensure the safety of for instance a pharmacy on mars right because you can't ship the uh, various substances there Easily, they're going to be exposed to radiation and all kinds of other variables. Well, hell, man, isn't penicillin a fungus?
2: And yeast. Don't forget <laughs> baker's yeast. Yeah, penicillium <laughs> fungi. First mass-produced antibiotic.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, pretty crazy stuff, right? And mm-hmm. what I think is crazier is that the the future or the ancient past seems to be rushing toward the present. Uh, there's a guy named Andre Antones, who's a researcher at the Macau University of Science and Technology in China, who says the same stuff, uh, especially shouts out yeast and fermentation, and says, doubt on earth you know, uh, fungi are employed to make food. We use yeast for fermentation, as well as medicines, chemical enzymes for industry, and metal nanoparticles in different fields and applications. We're never going to be able to get rid of the fungi as we venture venture into space. So we need to understand them. That verges on philosophy, in a way, or therapy. I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if fungus has a therapist. I also don't know where that joke's going. <laughs> no, no, no. But I think we're all just like deep in thought here because this is some
2: heady stuff, no question about it.
0: Yeah, I, I had no idea that, um, I guess, yeast and other funguses were being launched into space like as early as 2009 to um, to study things like how dangerous can bacteria and other forms like that be if you just let them hang out in space and uh, you know if they they aren't experiencing the other factors that environments on earth would like kind of mitigate some of the uh, the not virality but the again the dangers of like a bacteria or um, a yeast like a yeast infection or something like that so they launched a satellite where they let this stuff kind of just proliferate inside this little micro satellite and then they were going to use that for their research to see if you can actually create drugs or some kind of medication that would would, would stop that growth.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's smart. it's necessary if humanity's future is indeed the stars. And it's so strange, you know it's, it's a good lesson about anthrocentrism because the same factors that limit human reproduction uh, outside of Earth are the same factors that help fungal reproduction, like the the lack of gravity is a huge disadvantage to developing embryos or fetuses in earth life or human life, I should say, but it's awesome for these tiny guys. And we don't know how far they could go, right? Like, here's a cool thing uh, from Adriana Bla- Blashowitz or Blackowitz, Uh She investigated fungi on the ISS, the International Space Station, and she said this, I think the biggest message is that fungi and bacteria are an integral part of human bodies. Wherever we go, fungi and bacteria will follow. So we can't get rid of them, right? Like they're also more successful in space. I think the scientists, the human scientists are smart when they say, let's team up. And then, of course, maybe this is I don't know about you guys. This this is the thing that keeps catching me. What if aliens do contact human life on earth or on the moon or on the solar system somewhere. And it turns out that they are fungal life forms. What if their version of take me to your leader is their network sending out electrical signals that doesn't clock for the humans or the astro- the human astronauts, but all of a sudden the fungus and the mold starts reacting in a new way to
0: that message. I, I can imagine it. I don't, it feels to me like those organisms function on such a different time scale than humans and other, you know, larger life on earth functions. I, I just wonder how the interaction would actually go, right? What would, what's the speed of the communication? What's the technology? Because you can't get just fungus in space, like just hanging out or traveling long, far distances. It would have to use some kind of technology. Um, Fungus technology, mushroom
2: tech. (laughs) There we go back to that again. But also, like, what is their intention? And is there even an intention? Is it just purely physiologically driven and a need to just procreate and spread, spread, spread? Like, I think that's what we see in, like, these complex systems of bacterium and and, and fungi is that, you know. But then we pause it in this episode, too, is there – a certain sentience to these things too that maybe we don't fully understand is there a language we 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 have hit on the ability to have short-term memory and to be able to quote unquote make decisions but does
1: it like go beyond that mhm yeah and it it's the it's the same question right the same series of questions how would that contact work what if what if the extraterrestrials quote unquote that humans meet are some sort of interstellar slime mold and they're just expanding through vectors what if earth is just a a little stop point uh, or a way station on the on the path to what they're actually looking for which is like spore prime or whatever that version of religion would be if we could even ascribe religion to non-human entities it's fascinating stuff and We'd love to hear your thoughts, folks. Was H.P. Lovecraft onto something? Do you have the answers to some of the questions we're asking here? Um, will fungal astronauts be okay with us, we poor earthlings who still enjoy eating mushrooms? Will they be fine with it, or will it be like a a bad bad look for us? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, some sort of a front.
2: Like, uh, who's eating who here? Because, <laughs> hey, after all, we know mushrooms eat us, too.
1: mm mm-hmm. <laughs> so. uh, The circle of life. And uh, we hope that you participate in the circle of life on this show, folks. Let us know the answers. We can't wait to hear from you. Uh, you may end up on the air with us. We try to be easy to find online. Conspiracy stuff on X, YouTube, and
2: Facebook. Conspiracy stuff show on Instagram and TikTok. But wait, there's more.
0: We have a phone number. It is 1-833-STDWYTK. When you choose to call, you'll have three minutes. to give yourself a cool nickname and let us know if we can use your message and voice on the air. If you don't want to do that, why not? Instead, send us an email.
1: And let us know if you are of fungal intelligence. Uh, regardless, we read every email we get where we are. Conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com
4: Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.
1: Attention, true crime enthusiast! Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus
2: Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief.